Welcome to another episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined by Michael Rand of the Star Tribune, and eventually Ben Gessling will hop in mid-podcast. We're going to preview Sunday's game. The Vikings are going to face Skylar Thompson on Sunday. The third-string quarterback is both Teddy Bridgewater and Tua Tungavailova are in the concussion protocol for Miami um, in a story that really swept the NFL and changed the, the protocol with Teddy Bridgewater getting yanked after one play last week in a weird situation where the spotter independent spotter pulled him from the game after it looked like he was uh the spotter said he was stumbling um and that's just enough now to get you yanked from a game after what happened to Tua when he was allowed to go back in so anyway all that leads to the Vikings playing Skylar Thompson on Sunday and if this were Mike Zimmer's Vikings you might say "Uh uh-oh Skylar Thompson's about to come out and throw four touchdowns. And, and really, yeah, Cooper rushed the bit. But we saw them beat Andy Dalton uh, against, the, against the Saints in, in London. Already um, a new era. They can beat back quarterbacks. And there's a lot different era. Or, Chase Daniel. And a lot different uh, vibe around this, this team right now going up against Skylar. So it seems like the Vikings could walk, walk right into 5-1. and one. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's feeling a little bit <clears throat> charmed right now based on who they've gotten to place you know play in this game certainly either one of those other quarterbacks probably gives the Dolphins a better chance to win especially Tua based on how he was playing earlier this season you know winning that shootout against the Bills if I'm not mistaken and you know kind of getting his uh, his his legs underneath him and really showing that he was on the right track but yeah I mean nothing taken for granted in these games but when you're facing a third round or I mean a third string quarterback who was I think a seventh round rookie draft choice uh, that's not usually uh, somebody who's necessarily ready to step in and, and win a game, not like, <clears throat> not even like an Andy Dalton who's at least been there and done that. So um, I am worried, though. We'll get to this a little bit later, but uh, the Dolphins took the ping pong table out of their locker room. No, let's get to this right now. What? Okay. What? So what happened? I just read this uh, on the Twitters. Um, I think it must be a Dolphins beat writer. McDaniel and Tyreek Hill, I'm reading this verbatim, and the rest of the team captains decided to take the ping pong table out of the Dolphins locker room in an effort to focus more intently on their upcoming opponents. So as much as the Vikings might gain from pl- playing against Skylar Thompson, um, they're going to get the Dolphins' best focus without that ping-pong table. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess if uh, a ping-pong table was all that was holding you back from world domination, uh, you know, somebody might have thought of that a while ago. But good they finally figured out what was holding them back from uh, not going 17-0 and uh, since they did it in 1972. That half-century... The ping pong table, somewhere in between. Ping pong was a 1970s thing, right? I mean, it probably came in around that time, and I think we just solved the mystery of why the Miami Dolphins haven't been uh, a contender like they used to be. It doesn't seem like it's a good sign, though, and I'm not saying Mike Daniels is not going to be a good NFL head coach, but it just doesn't seem like a good sign that you're yanking away the ping pong table already. Like, it's October, coach. That that whole thing seems like it's uh, taken a weird turn down there already, and... Uh, how many weird headlines have we gotten from the Miami Dolphins in the last year? I mean, the yacht meetings with Tom Brady, uh, the possibility of enticing Brian Flores to try to throw games, um, the NFL's possible sham interview process coming out of all of that. Um, yeah, we've we've uh, gotten a lot of strange things from South Florida in the last year or so. It seemed like things had maybe taken a turn, though, right? Didn't they start 2-0, and 3-0, yeah, something impressive. like that this year? They, everybody was like, hey, maybe the Dolphins are going to be a tougher game than you thought. And Tyreek Hill, obviously, a playmaker who can do some damage. But 
Things have taken a turn, as Ben said. They have, and they were actually in Sunday's game against the Jets. It was 19-17. to 17. They were trailing with Skylar Thompson, because obviously mentioned he replaced Teddy Bridgewater after one play, came in for his first NFL game and did fairly well until uh, they missed what could have been a go-ahead field goal for Miami uh, and turned into just a, a, a avalanche against the Dolphins as the Jets, I think, scored three touchdowns and the Dolphins lose that game 40-17. to 17. Looks like a blowout, but one that... Skyler Thompson kept him in, Tyreek Hill and, and Jalen Waddell. It's a really talented group, even without their quarterback. Um, I just don't see a way how the Vikings can go into this game and somehow blow it. I mean, it would take a colossal, colossal uh, uh, failure for them to somehow do it. But um, this one sets up for them pretty nicely to walk into 5-1, and one, which Ben, we were talking beforehand, would be their first 5-1 uh, start since 2016, and you're feeling a lot better about it at that point <laughs> than you would be that year. Especially because they started 5-0, and and the way that they got to 5-1 and was stuffed animal genocide. Yes. Monday, it was a Monday night game, right? Uh, <clears throat> no. No. They, it was in Philly on okay. Sunday. It was the first game back after the bye. They were 5-0. Oh, okay. okay. The, um, the stuffed animals were sacrificed in the name of staying focused. Right. You know, kind, of, kind of a ping-pong table-like maneuver, yes. I guess. Yes. Uh, didn't work. They played terribly in Philly. Um, that I think they were circulating through tackles. I think Jake Long was on like a timeshare with uh, with your guy TJ Clemmings, and uh, there was somebody else, probably Jeremiah Searles. I think um, they lose that game, and then the next week oh, was so the Monday night game the against Halloween the Giants. Night game against the Bears. Oh, why do I think? Why am I involving the Giants in this? They played the Giants at the Josh end. Josh Freeman is probably what you're thinking yeah, of. That was 2013, but yes. Yes. Uh, 2016, Zimmer scratches his eye with his play card <laughs> in Chicago. They lose the game. The next day, he has to skip his press conference because he had an emergency eye surgery. Yeah. And then the next morning after that, Norv Turner resigns, and Zimmer comes back uh, after eye surgery with no offensive coordinator. Memories, memories, and a guy who probably wouldn't wanted the ping pong table in the locker room. No, he didn't like the uh, the fireplaces on in the, the the locker room here. Fireplaces and the TVs could not be used. Is that true? Took yes. the fire took the fireplaces away here, so it, that that didn't that didn't turn the team Why? around. That didn't turn the team around. Too, but too cushy in there. Too comfortable. Oh. Can't uh, have them be comfortable. We and, and when they lost to go five and one in Philadelphia, he called the O line soft. Yes, uh, which <laughs> then didn't resonate very well. Uh, that did not also uh, was not incorrect. Popular, <laughs> they were not good. Through, through Kevin O'Connell's one loss as Vikings head coach so far, we've seen a little bit navigating of the ship that uh, at least didn't go that route. But we'll we'll see what happens if they somehow drop this game against Miami. What their biggest challenge is going to be not letting Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle take short little dump off passes into big plays. It's going to yeah. be tackling well. It's going to be uh, not breaking those shell defenses that they put out there to take away these these big plays. And so, so far, the secondary, Ben, you've written about Cam Dantzler. Uh, we talked about him after the game, but he's been one of the, the brighter spots, at least yeah. recently, for them. Um, and they're going to need another strong game from him on Sunday. Yeah, they are. I mean, this is, a, this is an awfully tough matchup with both of those receivers. And like you said, they both can run after the catch, especially Tyree Kill. Yak. Um, yeah, there will be a lot of yakking uh, in this game, and not like the kind of yakking we are currently doing. Um, if you give them room to run, that may be a problem, especially because if we've seen Cameron Dantzler struggle anywhere, it's uh, kind of running downfield, and that's a little bit different than trying to cover downfield. But you generally don't want to get in foot races with Tyreek Hill. It's generally not a very good idea. So I think 
trying to play those shells in a way that keeps them in front of you but also doesn't give them tons of space to maneuver underneath the safeties is going to be probably one of the keys to this one. Yeah, and they've, I mean, really have had some some luck so far in terms of just not facing a ton of tough quarterbacks after Rodgers and Jalen Hurts right out of the gate. Uh, and so, and they're going to face Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins will come back from suspension after the bye week. And then it'll run through your Buffalo, Dallas when Dak is healthy, presumably. But don't forget the Commanders. Uh, yeah, I skipped over that one. Do you know? I did. I, I did skip, notice. <laughs> skipped I did over notice Carson. That, yes, I skipped over Carson once for good reason. Um, but because that'll be one kind of like this, where it just doesn't feel like we're going to revenge game. We're going to learn too much about this team. I don't know, Mike. Can we learn too much? You think about this this potential when we're projecting a win against a Skylar Thompson led Dolphins team? Yeah, I mean it's it's just such a weird team so far because I think we've all talked about it. We've written about it to a certain extent. Like I don't think that the sum total of what they've done so far adds up to four and one necessarily. Like they've won three very close games especially those two against Detroit and New Orleans like those were true toss-up games even the Bear, the Bears game got close Bears even had the lead in the fourth quarter obviously like that was more than close but it did feel like the Vikings outplayed the Bears in a way they didn't outplay those other two teams so this, that one felt a little bit different but still outcome wise like they needed to do something in the fourth quarter like Kirk Cousins has three fourth quarter comebacks and three game-winning drives already this season um, so their their margins right now are very thin but it doesn't really matter at a certain point we've you, i think you wrote about that this week it's like it, if you're winning you kind of forget about everything else at a certain point as long as you start to play a little bit better later when you might have to yeah i mean there are no power rankings there's no committee sitting in a room deciding who makes the playoffs it's did you win and did you win enough games against teams in your division and or your conference to help you in tiebreakers should you find yourself in one. So a 17 playoff field, a 17 game season, I I mean you want to be good the whole time, but if you're going to round into form and be playing your best, it's a lot more important to be doing that in two, two and a half months than it is right now. I mean you, you don't want to excuse it, but this idea, and this is what I wrote about earlier in the week, this idea of are they a good team or not? I mean, we, we talk about this all the time. This question comes up. I, I get this question all the time just from friends or people I see. That We even had a variation of that question that we'll probably get yeah, to later yeah. on the, on the, in the Twitter. It comes up all the time. But it doesn't matter that much in the sense that it, it doesn't have any bearing on whether they make the playoffs. And there's a lot of teams right now that you'd sit there and say, well, the record's pretty good, but are they really this good? I mean, it, you know, the NFC especially I think is – is kind of loaded with those types of teams. So if you're one of them and you're playing those teams, if those are the teams you're going to face in the end when everything's on the line anyway, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's just a matter of getting in and getting hot at the right time. Well, it's fair to say this, though. They're at least better positioned now than they were when Aaron Rodgers was winning back-to-back MVPs to potentially win a division and yeah. host a playoff game, which is a much better spot to be in, in in terms of getting in like you're talking about. So. I mean, just in terms of looking at Green Bay and the rest of the division, at least this looks like a better time to be in contention. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. I mean, the, the Packers have a fair amount of their own issues. Are they going to figure it out? I I think so to some degree, but are they going to go win 13 games again? I would not bet on that. Yeah, so, they, don't, they don't seem like a 13-win team no, right now. Just no. they, they could be. You know, they Rodgers has a way of doing that, but it could be the kind of thing where 10 or 11 wins the division this year. Right, right, and then they are – having to play through the first round maybe you get the home playoff game you know all of those things are 
important because the last time they played a home playoff game was the Minneapolis Miracle. And this is a team that, Marcus Williams aside, is awfully tough to beat at home. So if you get people in there in that environment when it's loud, I do think it makes a difference. So, yeah, if you have a chance to play one at home, we're we're way ahead of (laughs) – where we're going to go with this in in 12 weeks but yes you know, they also have put themselves in the position to uh, at least discuss it because the last two years they start one and three and one and five and then it's just this play with your hair on fire thing to try to get yourself back and in, into the in the hunt graphic yes. where they have lived for many many years but they're not having I mean, the the benefit of the start and i wrote this is kind of what i said that my story this week too the benefit of the start is that it means you don't have to be perfect just to get to nine wins and need all this help. You've got yourself at least a little bit of a head start on the whole thing. And that's why this Sunday's game is so important. Like You might have looked at this at the start of the year and said, Miami looks a lot better. This is a road game going to the bye, like perfectly justifiable to drop it. But if you win a game that looked earlier in the year like it would be harder than it is and you go into the buy five and one instead of four and two you've bought yourself just that much more equity for the rest of the year well i mean even at this point if you go six and six the rest of the way you're ten and seven so that's not you know trying to climb this huge hill to get there and if say they win sunday you're five and one say it takes ten to get in i mean it probably could probably nine but let's say just for the sake of argument it's ten you still have the commanders the jets the bears again the lions again the Colts, I mean, at home, you know, there, there's enough there that even the low-hanging fruit gets you to 10 if you win Sunday. Well, speaking of those 2019 Vikings, let's get to a question we had in the mailbag. We've got about 20 minutes left here. Nick wants to know, would you say the 2022 Vikings are better or worse than the 2019 Vikings? And he also wants us to compare this team to 2017, 2015, and 2009. Um which I thought was an interesting question because when you look back at some of those teams, I think the best out of those four, obviously, 09. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. Number yeah. two, 2017? Yeah. Probably. Yeah, although go right. the 2015 Vikings were maybe a little bit underrated. I mean, they went 11-5, and five, won the division. That's only one fewer win than they had in 2009. <clears throat> should have bounced um, the two-time NFC champs. Should have, beaten the, should have beaten the Seahawks in the playoffs that year. That was just a really good defense. Their offense was kind of a mess that year, but the defense was was awfully tough. Um, I think the team they're most... They're mo- I don't know if we can say they're better than any of these teams yet. I just don't think we know enough about them, but the team they in spirit remind me the most of so far is 2017 when things just seemed to go... Their way, <clears throat> right? Like 2017, so many things happened, including, of course, the far. I'm sorry, the <laughs> the Rogers injury uh, that year, um, that was caused by Anthony Barr and the, the whole, you know, that kind of changed the rule book going forward. But Chris Jones, thanks you for that, Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly right. So, um, you know, just in terms of things breaking their way, all these, you know, things that don't seem to go their way most years going their way this year, and now another opportunity to beat a backup quarterback against the Dolphins like the spirit of this season feels like that I don't think they're going to go I don't think this is a 13 win team but just the ability to kind of have some things go that way it reminds me of that more than anything else so far so the other one he didn't mention this is the one I've thought about and I actually asked Harrison Smith about this in the locker room on Sunday and he kind of gave me a look like this is a long time ago I don't remember this as well as you might but that was his rookie year it was his rookie year 2012 is the one that this reminds me of a little bit. And I say that because they were 3-13 and the year before. They weren't coming off of that. 
this year, obviously, but you have a new coach. You have a lot to prove. They start with like Indianapolis on the road. I think Walsh hits a field goal to win it. Uh, Jacksonville was in there early. They started four and one at Tennessee at home. It wasn't very good. And then they got John Skelton at home with Arizona. And they start four and one, five and one, something like that. When they weren't playing particularly well. I mean, Christian Pond, they were, they won a couple games where Christian Pond threw for like a hundred yards. And then obviously they had a, a losing streak in the middle of the season. They had to go out to Seattle and I think they had another, they had a, they lost at Lambeau Field in a game where Ponder threw a couple picks, but they win their last four and beat three 10-win teams in the process to get in. I don't think that happens without the early start where they start to build a little bit of momentum, a little bit of confidence to say, this actually is a good enough team that we can go in here and play with these teams at the end of the season. They almost blew it. I mean, they needed to to get in on a tiebreaker right. with the 10-win Bears right. just to get in in that, that epic finale at the Metrodome against the Packers, but... I that's the one that reminds me of a little bit just because that early hey uh, it may not be pretty but we're winning and we can build a little bit of confidence and maybe all that stuff starts to to feed on itself because of that I mean Harrison Smith certainly talked about that quite a bit in the locker room on Sunday of even if it's ugly this stuff can start to add up and, and get you on a roll which is what made me ask him about the 2012 thing and I, that's the one that sticks in my mind a little bit. I like the 2015 comparison. Not, I mean, in the way it ended is, is I guess runs against what I'm about to say because it ended with the Xavier Rhodes interception that sealed kind of their division. Oh, at Lambeau. Yeah. Yeah. But what I think of that 2015 team, I think of more of like a team with Adrian Peterson's last gasp at the team. It was the offense kind of was pretty good for a young Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, Stefan Diggs was drafted into that group and eventually became a contributor for them. Adam Thielen was obviously coming into his own. And so it was Charles a really Johnson was the second receiver. True. That is true. So they didn't use they didn't catch against the Bears. They used Diggs really the way they should have. But and then Thielen, I guess, may, might have not been a huge contributor. But I just think of that team as like an offense that had talent, but a defense that was kind of coming, you know, still kind of learning yeah. under Zimmer and not great. Because this team, like I don't know. I don't think this team, 2022, is as good as 2017 or as good as 2009, maybe even as good as 2019. I think it's just as talented, but defensively I haven't seen it yet with this group. Yeah. This group that we're looking Rough around the edges things well, with this team yet. And that's why I have a hard time. I would have a hard time putting them ahead of 19, 17, or 15 just because those teams had better defenses that were just younger. A lot of the, Some of the same guys were – a few of the same guys were still around from those teams that are on this team, like Kendricks, Harrison Smith, things like that. But they just had a lot of – young talent that was like <clears throat> on first contracts to a lot of degrees and they just had they just had a lot of guys that could make plays and they just a lot of those guys got second and third contracts exactly and that kind of contributed to uh Hi, anthony again 2020 2021 and goodbye zimmer but uh, and spielman uh jay thomas wants to know provide a few reasons as to why the offensive line has improved despite four of the five players on the line were starting last year. So basically saying, hey, we were not great last year. We returned four of the five starters. Now we're not too bad. So I'm curious about this too because I was wondering about that this week, looking at some of the ESPN stats with you know pass block win rate and run block win rate. Uh, they are in the top ten in the league in both of those, and the, the guy individually who is at like fifth at his position in both of those Garrett Bradbury. Yeah, I saw that too. Yeah. I mean, it's so it, it's like it's the same guys. <laughs> Andrew's brow is furrowed right now. Yes, it's very furrowed. He he looks very, um, I don't know, troubled, perplexed, something by this stat. Maybe former high school center is uh, is trying to process all of this and see how this happened so quickly. But, um, yeah, the, the numbers, at least on that front, are awfully good. Um, we haven't gotten – I was going to ask Kevin O'Connell about that today in terms of – 
Is it Chris Cooper that's just helped make the difference? I mean, Christian Darrisaw, I think, has been a lot better, and that helps. I think Ezra Cleveland has played well as well. But the Bradbury sort of shift is uh, it, it's it's one that makes your brow furrow. Yeah, it really does. <laughs> it really does. I don't get it. I don't get it. Maybe he's just improved individually. Maybe what they're asking him to do is a lot better. I've seen some things that are interesting with him. Um, they've got him basically like pulling out on the edge to block like edge rushers sometimes, which is interesting. Pass protection sets that they've done with him, which are different. It's not like they're doing that every time or more than a few times a game, but um, I don't know. It's he just must be getting better. I, I, and like you mentioned, the offensive line coach, and I remember Garrett in the offseason talked about how he's just kind of in a better mindset this time around, and he mentioned uh, the positivity in the building. <laughs> Uh, mm. And those kinds of things. So the the kind of motifs that we've heard from players throughout the offseason in terms of the positive vibes of a new head coach and moving on from the uh, what has been called a fear-based organization before. So I think that might help a young guy who's still, you know, as, as much as we think about him as a fourth-year player, he's 25 or whatever. You know, he's pretty young. So um, that has helped the Vikings, even though they've had an inconsistent left guard, in my opinion, in Ezra Cleveland, and then a rookie who's been up and down, too, on the right side. Uh, and then, obviously, Christian Derrissaw sending the way he has has been huge for them. Yeah, I think there's a couple factors. I think a lot of these guys are just young, and young guys are going to generally get better. <clears throat> um, they've had pretty good continuity so far, too. Like, have these guys missed snaps? I mean, I'm sure they've missed – they might have missed some if they had – Know, playoff here, playoff there, but it feels also like a 2012 comparison there. Yeah, that was the all 16, right? Yep. So no, it's very early, but yeah. Yes. Um, so I think the continuity probably helps that they that there maybe maybe there's something to the fact that even though they weren't great in 2021, if if a lot of them are still here, they kind of know tendencies, they're learning different things, they're getting better. Because I think <clears throat> Ben, I think to your point, Darius has been really good this year, and when you have those kind of anchor tackles with him and Brian O'Neill like that. <clears throat> that's that solves a lot of your problems right there. You're not constantly worried about a guy getting beat around the edge, and you can kind of play around with the interior a little bit to, to, to help out a little bit more. Yeah, you're not having to slide protection out to the edges quite as much. You can maybe focus it a little more in the middle. And really, I mean, the amount of time they spend in empty backfields, or even with you know the tight end kind of off the wing or maybe even flexed out a little bit, they're – Asking that line to go five on five or five on four without chip help or a running back in the backfield to to pick up a blitzer yeah. a lot more. And it hasn't been catastrophic. I mean, it, the thing we've always kind of said with this group is they don't have to be the Dallas Cowboys of the 1990s. They just have to be decent. And with the skill position talent they have, the rest of it will take care of itself. And I, I think they've at least – so far, met that standard. I used to scream at my TV whenever they went empty with Kirk Cousins, and I don't do that. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it's a different thing. It's it's well, and now Kirk, you know, maybe all the tennis has uh, has made the difference, but Kirk, you know, Kirk's mobile now. Kirk's like Patrick Mahomes in his own way. Kirk's done a good job too. I remember I wrote about um, a few years ago when when they pl- uh, played the Chargers because he often talked about with Philip Rivers, he really emulated Rivers' ability to limit. He might have a high pressure rate in a given year, but he always yeah. limited the damage, always kept the sack rate low. Yes, he and has pointed Rivers out for that dude. reason a number of times. Kirk's yeah. done a pretty good job of that this year, where he's kind of thrown it away quite a bit and not taking too many sacks in those situations when he does get pressured, when that offensive line does bust through. So he's, I think, got to take some credit for that. As well. I think he's only taken eight sacks in five games this year, which is, I think they would take that for the rest of the way. Very Keenum-like. The offensive line has played all but one snap 
together this season so far. So we missed the one snap. Darisaw missed one snap at some point. I don't remember when. Um, I, yeah, they've played 345 of 346 snaps together. That is helpful. That's helpful for an offensive line in particular. That helps. Um, all right. Let's go to some more questions. Ryan wants to know, why can't we just have a normal team? Like, like win normally, like, like a 24-13 Just like a calm. Like yeah, just not give up 19 unanswered points to the Bears at home. Did he yeah, say that was like, like with a parent voice in there too? In judgmental parent voice. normal kid? Did you just get a nice middle-class job, Vikings? Yeah. <laughs> why do you got to always make things interesting? I don't Because it's the Vikings? I don't know, because it's the NFL? Like this is... How many I teams are normal anymore? I don't think this is particular to the vikings anymore like i think in the past maybe you could say god the vikings just have a lot of stuff happen to them in a year but if you're just talking about the games themselves this is the nature of the nfl now not just the vikings yeah i mean it it, everything i mean the nfl likes to brag about it and not that they're leaning on games to make them finish this way I i don't think that's what's happening i'm sure there's conspiracy theories to that effect but the rules are set up to have teams of equal talent and equal you know levels of proficiency so it it gets there in that regard at some point and and the rules are also set up that teams can score a lot of points when they're coming from behind because the rules favor offenses so when teams tend to let their foot off the gas a little bit defensively and not pressure quarterbacks as much it seems like quarterbacks have an easier time moving the ball down the field late in games and you do see a lot of these things finish this way so the NFL has talked about we had this many games that came down to one possession or this many games at one point on a Sunday that were one score, you know, turn on NFL red zone is the, is the subtext of that. But this is a feature, not a bug of the current league. And it makes it so that games are more stressful. It makes it so that, you know, you're sitting there on the edge of your seat, uh, whether you're a fan or whether you're a beat writer trying to have a readable product that gets filed right at the end of the game which is always a lot of fun but or so it seems or so it's yes yes the uh the years i spent covering bad baseball teams with bullpens that could set leads on fire in a matter of seconds has come in handy the last two years covering the vikings but yeah that i think is just kind of how it works now the league kind of has gone that way mcnugget wants to know cap space might require some maneuvering, but is there an opportunity to trade for an upgrade on defense, on that aforementioned defense? And that kind of dovetails into the other question, too, about getting more pressure and stopping the run. Um, you know, if, if there's an area of concern, that probably is it, right? That they just, you know, I think Zadarius Smith and Daniel Hunter have done a decent job this year, but they're not putting up a lot of flashy, splashy numbers, not a lot of huge impact plays. Like, the defense is kind of doing it bending but not breaking more than they are, like, with these – game turning plays the dancers fumble you know notwithstanding yeah yeah they're they have uh, less than a million dollars in cap space they're one of two teams with six figure cap space at this point of the season the kansas city chiefs are the other so uh there's not a lot of space absent them doing something with a contract extension yeah which is hard to do in the middle of the season because i don't really know who would that even be at this point yeah that i mean the obvious is justin jefferson but he's not able to get an extension until after this season and why the heck would he sign one now when he's not having broken all of the records yet that he may break if he keeps up at this pace so that doesn't make any sense i there's not a real obvious one to do it i don't i don't think um so you're probably kind of stuck where you are at the moment um 
there's just not I mean, and people, I tweeted about the dead money yesterday, and I got a few people saying, well, they're only in the middle of the league with dead money. That is true. But of the teams that are above them in terms of dead money, there are only four that have more than $180 million of active cap spending like the Vikings do. The Vikings also didn't have a lot of money to roll over. So it does matter in the sense that you combine all of these things, they don't have a lot of room to operate. You know, there are a lot of teams that, like the Falcons, have like $77 million in dead money. That was getting rid of Matt Ryan. There are teams that are saying, we're just going to rip the Band-Aid this year and not worry about being competitive. We're going to let the dead money hit this year, and then we'll have plenty of space to spend next year. The Bears are, are in that in that spot. The Texans are in that spot. Those teams are not probably trying to be, quote-unquote, super competitive or going through a competitive rebuild or whatever term you want to use that we've heard from the Vikings this year. So that is why the dead money matters when you combine it with the spending they have and you look at the fact that next year they're still in a tight spot. They've got like $200 million of cap commitments next year. There's going to be a lot of that that changes. Thielen probably, Dalvin Cook, Eric Kendricks, Daniel Hunter, Harrison Smith. I mean, all of those contracts in some form or another could get addressed. You're going to have to sign Justice Jefferson in the not-too-distant future. So they're still going to be doing a little bit of this shell game thing for the foreseeable future, and Cousins is expensive as a veteran quarterback is. And that's just kind of the going rate at this point. So there's not a lot of space for them to do anything terribly fancy at the moment. So uh, your Odell Beckham questions, we are 30 minutes into the podcast on October 12th. You may refer back to this moment when you come to us with the Odell Beckham questions in a few weeks. They may not be forced to extend Kirk Cousins, though, this offseason like they were the past offseasons to generate yeah. cap space. Yeah, yeah, they'll have to do other things with other veterans, I think. But, but that $30 million now will be allocated to the wide receiver as opposed to the quarterback. Yes, they will. <laughs> I feel like there might be a Where's the Money Brzezinski uh, opportunity on Friday's Daily Delivery podcast. Uh, all right, so no money to add any help on defense. All the help has to come from within is what you're saying. When right? I said no space, my mind immediately went, for some reason, this is just how my mind works, to the uh, scene in one of the Avengers movies where Hulk is getting mad and just goes, no stairs! No space! <laughs> no space! Can't have anything nice. Can't what you got is what you got. Space. There is no space. All right. Uh, what else should we talk about before? Do we have any other questions? Yeah, let's get to this last question. Great win this past Sunday, 4-1. and one. With that said, what was the biggest issue this past Sunday in letting the Bears back in the game? I don't know. It was kind of a weird middle of the game, right? Like, how do you how do you account for that? Well, the interception didn't help. I mean, missed field goals. It was already – yeah, the missed field goals is kind of weird, right? Because they had to give Greg Joseph the vote of confidence. I have this kind of weird thing that's going on right now where I feel like – there's almost too much confidence in the kickers to make these like <laughs> to make the fifty plus yeah, yarders. Defensive line is fine. Mike well, needs another thing to worry about. I, I, well, here's the thing. Like, I feel here's like the kicker. This is an NFL thing where all of a sudden coaches think that fifty five yarders that's like a target yeah. that you just get to, and then it's not automatic, but you're going to make a lot of those. And Joseph, well, O'Connell talked about it after the Will Lutz kicks. Yeah, it's like I mean, it's this is. I feel like they they need to readjust their thinking. Like they. Make it a little easier on these kickers. Like, all of Joseph's misses this year have been from 50-plus, haven't they? At least for the yeah. field goals. He's yeah. one of five from 50-plus. O'Connell talked about that where he said, like, maybe I should just go for it or punt in some of these situations and not. So, to your point, <laughs> he's basically questioned. You start going for two? His own confidence there. To he let did him not, know? He did not want to send a message to the kicker that way. But I should mention that 
to answer your question about the I issues, turn all right, I can't remember. the issues to me it was special teams, and it was maybe that coaching decision to go for that field goal, uh, which was I think it was only like fifty-one yards though. So I don't know. It seems yeah, like it was within his fine. Um, but a shank punt. The fourteen-yard punt set up a fiv- a fifty-yard field uh, that that the uh, Bears took in for a touchdown. The missed field goal set up a forty-four-yard field that they took or forty-four-yard drive for a field goal. And the interception set up a 29-yard drive for a field goal. So it was basically uh, either the interception, the decision to go for a field goal that was missed, and the punt uh, that was shanked that set up. So basically special teams. Okay. They were the hero two weeks ago, yeah. and it was the it was the downfall. Then they got away with it both times, which is uh, not you very Vikings. Hero not very Vikings enough like. to see yourself become the villain. Two comic book references for no me in the last five minutes. We'll see if the Vikings can escape Miami with a win um, against Skylar Thompson. That is where we will talk to you from next. Please Skyler check out and then Kyler. Please check out uh, StarTribune.com for all your Vikings coverage. Until then, yeah, do it. My my wife tries to tell me sometimes and say less, so I'll say less.